The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want you to turn, if, you, if you're looking at a Bible, to Exodus chapter 14. As you do that, let me thank every one of you who have sent your offerings, gifts, um, financial that enables us to do this. We send this out free of charge to the entire world. And there's a lot that we do to make it happen. And I thank you for those who obey the urging of the Holy Spirit and send your monetary gifts. And also, um, let me remind you of the Bible school that we are having here on April the 26th through the 27th, which will be uh, on the subject of a union with the Holy Trinity through Jesus Christ. Okay, and then, of course, June the 7th through 8th, where we're having a retreat in St. Petersburg, Florida. All details you can um, get from our office Let's turn to chapter 14 of Exodus. Let me set you up. Um, chapter 14 of Exodus, there's a lot that has already happened. Uh, first of all, of course, Moses goes into Egypt to deliver Israel, who at this point for 450 years have been the slaves of the pharaohs. And now he goes in and he brings about the great deliverance of God through what we call the ten plagues. Actually, it was the ten, what shall I say, it was the ten glorious victories. It was the ten manifestations of the truth of who God is. Because every plague destroyed one of the gods or sometimes many of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. They were not just um, uncomfortable things that happened. Uh, they worshipped the Nile. They worshipped, um, well, I won't go into that, enough to say that um, by the time they had finished, there was not a god left in Egypt that, that they could worship. And the people come out with the Passover feast, and Egypt is left devastated and the people are free, and they go out. And as they come to the edge uh, of uh, Egypt, when I came to the border, there they were met by what is generally called simply as the cloud, the cloud that was um, a cloud by day and fire by night. You remember that, and the, it led them. That was, in actual fact, the presence of God with them. And the cloud was a radiant cloud of light. And the fire by night is what that cloud of light looked like in the night sky. And and it led them. It overshadowed them. God was with them. And that that is where we're at. They're coming out. And then the Lord speaks to Moses a message for all of the people. Chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Paharath. You don't have to remember that name. Between Migdol and the sea, that's the Red Sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon opposite by the sea. 
For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And notice the word Lord there. It should be, according to Exodus chapter 3, the name of God, I am. And so he says, they shall know I am, I am. And they did so. So they they come out, and actually, if you look at a map of that time, there was a highway that led from that border of Egypt straight into the land of Canaan, which was their destination. But the cloud turned off. And this was the explanation that was given to Moses. He turned off the highway and plunged into what really was a trackless desert. I say trackless because the winds blow the sand every day. And so the the whole terrain can change overnight. And they, they, they went into this trackless wilderness of dunes and ravines and and mountainous area further on and, and as I say changing sometimes by the hour that they they go there and and they they seem to be wandering around in the dunes but they've got a specific place to go to the Lord brings them to this place a wide open space in front of them stretches out the Red Sea behind them the trackless desert and on either side there there's a pretty mountainous area and there they are they, they, I mean that's a dead end if ever you like uh, but you see it wasn't that they were lost you've got to understand this the Lord led them there for a very specific reason he said there's going to be closure Pharaoh is going to wake up and realize because his spies were watching of course and the, the spies reported back, they're nuts. They've gone off into the desert. They're wandering around. And Pharaoh said, I'm going to get them. I've had enough of this. there would be revenge, and I'm going to get my slaves back. And that's, the Lord said, yes. And in so doing, I'll bring closure to this. And forever and ever, you will know that I am the I am. That's that's the story as it opens here. And so it's an interesting thing. I'm not just reading that um, for, for the sake of reading it. Um, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, you, you look at them sitting there opposite the Red Sea and in, in a situation you could say where there's really no way out. And... It looks as if they've they've made the stupidest move of their life. It it, it means where where do we go? We we we've left Egypt, but here we are in a very dead end situation. But their wanderings in apparent lostness were indeed only apparent. Because, in fact, I mean, the Lord gave Moses the exact spot. He gave him an address to pitch their tents in this position of, well, they're, they're, 
they're vulnerable to the max. They're open to anybody coming up from behind. But it was all orchestrated, overseen by God. His love, his great love for this people, yes, he was setting them up. But really, he was setting Pharaoh up. He was sort of baiting Pharaoh to bring about the greatest event in the history of the Old Testament, certainly the greatest event in Israel's history. They would celebrate that. This would become the anchor of their faith, what was about to happen here. Um, forever and ever, they would speak about the parting of the Red Sea. Um, it, it is only overtaken and essentially lost when Jesus rose from the dead, which is the greatest event in all of creation. But what is going to happen here, it, it's a far, but it is a second to that. Look, I, I, I just want to open up this story by reminding you that when circumstances arise, and, and I know I'm talking to some people that you're right in the middle of this, your address is right there. We just read your address. In front of you is an impassable Red Sea. Behind you, a track you hardly know how you got here. Remember this, when circumstances arise that seem to hem you in, there is the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who loves you and who is working in this moment to bring about an event in your life that will establish your relationship in Him. You see, these people, and indeed all of us, uh, they're not just escaping slavery in Egypt. You understand what I mean? Um, people understand the gospel as saying, well, you get saved from sin. You don't go to hell when you die. Well, you see, yeah, I mean, yes, but they were, they were not just escaping any, you're, you're not just escaping sin. It isn't that you, you, you found this way of freedom from guilt and, you know, it's all okay now. But uh, then, then what? You, just, uh, you see, the, the, if, if they were just escaping slavery in Egypt, well, they're out now. And, and they could have gone straight on to Canaan and, I mean, just lived on their life. But that, that's not the point, nor is the point of the gospel that you're just getting saved from sin. That's not the point of the gospel. With they and we, um, to, to the infinite, we are being taught by the Holy Spirit a relationship with God. Jesus didn't come just to take away your sin. Jesus came to bring us into a relationship with God. And, and these people, that it, it's happened. This is their classroom. They are being taught to relate to God, to realize their union with Him, to know Him, and to know 
how much he loves them and to know his power and to realize themselves to be his beloved covenant partners or you could say to discover their true identity. That's what it's all about. It's not haphazard. It's not chance. They didn't just show up at the Red Sea. The Lord orchestrated it and he brought them there because this great event is going to happen. So, as, as they have left Egypt and um, as, as they come and camp in this place, because at this point, um, why not? Uh, their, their mood is joy. Uh, and of course, I can understand that. Of course, it would be joy. They're, they're free, free, and, and free after a fantastic demonstration of God's power. And, and and free, they're still trying to get used to the idea that they can get up in the morning without a whip across their back. Um, it's like they've entered into a, a long vacation. Oh, this is fantastic, you know. Uh, and even the desert looks amazing because all they've seen before is their little part of Egypt. I, I, I can see them pinching themselves. Uh, is it really true that we are free? And so they joy, but but their mood was only a response to circumstances. Understand that very clearly. They're, they're very happy people, but it's because of their circumstances, and they're responding to their circumstances. And the Lord is going to show them there's a joy that is in him that has nothing to do with circumstances. They don't know that yet. Well, the mood begun or began and was held up by the circumstances. Well, any mood that begins and is held up by circumstances is easily changed by new circumstances. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, I'm happy because this happened. Well, if it suddenly unhappens, then I guess I've lost my joy. And that happened very quickly because suddenly they look and they see there's, it looks like a dust cloud on the horizon. There's very obviously a a horde of people coming and it looks like they're they're coming very quickly because the dust cloud is getting thicker and uh, closer and higher and so on. And it's signaled that somebody's after them. Well, there's only one person who could be after them. That dust cloud is Pharaoh, the lord of Egypt, and the cloud is being made by his special ops who are coming to revenge and to reclaim the slaves. Okay, well then they saw it, and it says in verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, The sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Well, that, that, that was the word. Um, the, the Israelites were frightened. They, they were afraid. And, of course, our first reaction is, well, I can understand that. Although you have to consider they had been told that the Lord was setting this up. So really, that should have given them some sort of peace. But but it says, and it, it really expounds this. I'm really just talking around this subject of fear here because... Um, These people, people don't change. The way these people handled that situation is very much the same way as we handle life outside of Christ. They were afraid. What is fear? Well, basic, just a basic definition of fear. Um, And this is is not some deep thing I found in... uh, biblical books. Um, Look in Webster's Dictionary. Fear, one of the major definitions of fear is to stand in wonder and awe and worship. Yes, did you ever associate worship with with fear? Yeah, that's the basic meaning of the word, from which, of course, you get that expression in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean to say you're scared spitless of God. It means that you stand in awe and wonder and worship Him in all of your life. So fear, you could say, is a neutral word. It means wonder and awe and worship. Well, it depends who or what you're standing in awe of. It depends what you're wondering at. It depends what you're worshiping. If I am living in the fear of the Lord, then that brings with it the delight of this God who is love, this one who lives in the presence of the joy and the peace and so on. That's the fear of the Lord. But if I am looking at some monstrous thing that is about to crush me, a malign thing or person that is out for my demise, then that produces all the horror and the cowering and everything else that goes with what we call being frightened. But but it's the same idea in a negative way. So fear is looking at persons or events or situations and, and, and you know, it's, we, we say the, you, you, it's, uh, fight or flight or freeze. And there you stand. Most time, like a deer in the headlights. We, we don't know what to do. We, we stand in wonder of the greatness of this malign power that is seeking to destroy us. Well, let look at that thing or person that seeks to destroy us. How real is it? Now that's an app. I'm not. That's not a sort of a 
preach thing. I'm really asking, how real is it? I know your immediate answer is it's very real, but the fact is that this kind of fear that we're talking about is usually based on false or, shall I say, selected facts. That is, they leave out at that moment when you you interpret this moment as being the end. This is it. I, I, I can't survive this understand this, that that fear is believing in selected facts. And we're calling those selected facts the whole truth. I mean, with these people that that were frightened of the approaching Egyptians, I, I feel like saying, but of course I'm a long way from them, but I feel like saying, get, do, do you, 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 what are you talking about? You're afraid of them. You have brought Egypt, your masters, those that tortured you and tormented you and enslaved you. You brought them to their knees because the Lord worked his wonders. You think that he worked those wonders to dump you now? Don't be daft. Do you understand what I mean? That They don't even... Remember the ten plagues at this point, and but it was only a few weeks ago. But it's gone. They're only believing certain facts. The rest are being cancelled and discarded. Those facts are that Pharaoh is a very strong fellow, and he's got some special ops that are coming to do the job. But that's not the whole truth. By anybody's imagination, it's not the whole truth. Huh. So... Fear, then, is believing in, trusting in, expecting of a monster, a malignant monster. But it's an illusion, actually. It's, it's, it's really an illusion because there were so many other things they weren't considering. So what they're left with, this thing that they're believing in, doesn't really exist as they're believing in it. It's just an empty nothing, or could we say an is-not. And have you noticed how the is-nots suck us into a swamp of negativity? Okay, let's put it this way. Fear is being entangled with the past. I want you to really get this. Fear... This anxiety, the angst that controls much of people today is an entanglement with the past, rehashing the past, debating the past happenings and all the decisions made in the past. So they're saying now, it makes no sense just to sit here and talk about it, but they did. They they were saying that leaving Egypt was a bad thing. Now, literally a few minutes ago, they were beside themselves with joy that they'd exited and left Egypt behind. But now they're saying it was a bad thing. (laughs) There's a terrible negative energy that is going to destroy you before anybody else ever will. 
when we say, if only. Oh, see, we've gone back to the past. And we have said, you know, the decisions we made in the past that have brought us to this moment. If only I'd, if only we'd never made them. They looked at Moses and said, if only we'd never met you. And then the, suppose we, suppose we'd continued in the, it was such a wonderful place. And we knew exactly what every day would hold it. Suppose we'd stayed there. Suppose we were still the servants of farewell. This wouldn't be happening, you see. Suppose we had not listened to Moses. And then the, 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 the God that he has, have us believe. If God loves us, why is he letting this happen? You see, that's in direct contradiction to how this whole thing started. When the Lord says, I'm setting you up of love. I'm going to close this forever and ever. But now they say, well, why, why does God let this happen? Is he going to bury us here? Then they go back again and they look at the the time in Egypt just a few days ago. They said, we told you it was a bad idea, which they had at the very beginning. we, We told you that if you pursued this plan, Pharaoh would punish us. See, it's all your fault, Moses. It's all your fault. And we were stupid enough to listen to you. And the, the the tone of my voice is nothing to compare with how they were talking to him. They're, they, they're in hysterical rage. Why on earth, why on earth did we leave our beautiful little homes in Egypt for this desert? We were so content there. You see what I mean by selected facts? Huh. If only we had thought this thing through before we left. Look, I've heard discussions like this around the kitchen table when people face some situation and they go back and, and, and try, if only we hadn't done this, if only, if only, and then usually turn to whoever handles the money and say, if you, if you, if you hadn't. You see, fear revisits old failures and old hurts and brings them right into the present now. It's like, isn't it enough you were once wounded, but now it's healing, so let's pull off the scab and let it bleed again and let us have the pain again. Let's go back there, talk about it. Some people have done that. They go back 40 years and say, you know, what happened to me then? That's why this is happening to me today. Declaring that the past is the way the present is going to be. So I'm not here in the present. Do you understand me? I'm not here in the present. I'm back there saying, this is where the problem was. It's back there. And, and, and really, we should settle for this. You know what they're saying? We, we were slaves in Egypt. <laughs> That's why we should go back, you see. We, we were slaves. We might, why didn't we accept that fact? We were slaves and we'll always be slaves. That's our identity. That's who we are. <laughs> Egypt, that slave pits of it, that's where we belong. 
It, that's who I am. Do you, you understand? I'm a slave. I'm a victim. That, that's who I am. That's my identity. Pharaoh always tormented us. Pharaoh always crushed us and put his foot up. Well, that's where we belong. We, we should get used to this idea. He's always the winner, and we're always going to be his slaves. Does any of this relate to how so often we look at life, find our identity in the past and bring it into the present and say, this is who we are? And I say again, they totally left out the plagues. Totally. Is it possible they'd lived through the the unbelievable manifestations of God's power and now totally forget about it? And also totally forgot of God's evaluation of them. He gave them their identity, not slaves of Egypt, but rather going to Pharaoh in the person of Moses and saying, Pharaoh, you are in great trouble because you don't know who you have enslaved. Let my people go. So the Lord says you're not slaves of Egypt. That's not your identity. Your identity is that you're my persons. You're my people. They saw their present situation through the lens of what had happened to them in the past. And if they'd ever stopped to listen to themselves, they're seeing themselves as victims of the cruelty of God's deliverance. Isn't that ridiculous? The energy of fear. It's a terrible energy, terrible energy fear. It can even make your body shake and tremble. It certainly puts a quiver in your voice. There's a terrible energy, you know, that can take over like that. It's a negative, negative in capital letters, sucking, sucking the very life, even the physical strength and health out of you, takes peace out of your mind, takes mental clarity away and leaves you stupid as these people in a darkness. That's fear. And it leaves you saying of yourself, I am not, I should not. In their case, I should never have come here. I cannot do anything because I have not. Pharaoh's got everything, I've got nothing. I will not survive this time. And always with that then, based on that illusion, that terrible negative, that terrible lie, creates an image in the future of the worst possible scenario. And your body is receiving that as if it happened. Did you know that's a scientific fact? Whatever you thus uh, uh, go through with an emotional charged series of beliefs, it's registered in your body as if it actually happened. Every blessing from God is dismissed as irrelevant. All the goodness of God that has been toward them, cancel it out, it's gone. They believe that they are forsaken and God has betrayed them. And, of course, at the same time, yeah, and it happens at the same time because uh, a fearful mind, it's not rational. Um, At the same time, they were entangled with the future, 
They're, they're talking about their own funerals. They said, we're going to die in the desert. There'd be graves here. We die homeless, left out there for the desert animals to finish off. They didn't stand a chance against Pharaoh. It's an all an illusion of an imagination that's out of control, or rather in control of the great lie. I ask you, and I ask you gently, but I want to ask you eyeball to eyeball, what is actually taking place right now? Right now. I mean, are you dead? buried in the wilderness or whatever the worst scenario is in your life? I mean, it happened. I mean, seriously, what was the date when it happened? And could you explain to me how God has been unfaithful? How is it that he's abandoned and betrayed you? And you see, the answer to that, those questions is, is actually nothing's happened yet. Of course, we we emphasize yet because we're we're convinced it's going to. But the fact is, what is actually taking place now? Well, nothing's actually taking place. I, I'm just evaluating the situation. No, I'm not yet dead, but I, I'm I'm preparing my funeral because I know it's going to happen that way. You see, that's fear. It, it, it's, you're, you're dealing with illusions. You're dealing with smoking mirrors. It, it's, and so the people cried out to the Lord. But no, this isn't a time for prayer. God's response was, fear not. Oh, that's a command. Fear not. Uh there's no sympathy there. It, it isn't. There's a hand on your shoulder saying, now I know what you're going through and I know how you're afraid and I, I've, I've got these pills here. They'll quieten you down a little bit and then we can have some counseling. Um, there's no soothing words. There's no mention of crisis counseling. All it is, is stop. Stop. Being a, stop this line of thinking and imagining. Stop it. Step out of the lies of appearance and your forgetfulness and come into the truth of what is truly happening. I'm not going to stay here, but the, that, that, that tells me one thing, that we are responsible for what we choose to fear. And I'm not being mean to you. If you want to step into the peace of God that passes human comprehension, it begins with understanding you're responsible for what you choose to fear. And I know, I can almost hear it coming through the camera. We believe that fear is an emotion that is bigger than our choices. I couldn't help it. It just sort of happened. Well, not according to this. The Lord says, fear not. Stop it. How do I stop? Well, let me preface it by saying this. We do not stop fearing by trying not to be afraid. 
trying not to think about what's happening and trying to think happy thoughts of faith. You see, again, I wish I could see your eyes and because this, this can sound rough. But you see, these people cried to the Lord and the Lord cut them off and said, just stop, stop it. Stop, stop, the, stop this fear thing. Because you see, many times persons will pray, but it's meaningless words. They, they say, uh, I, I heard this just in the last two weeks, um, that they say, well, I, I know God is in control and he will work it out. But the trouble is, while they say that, they are envisioning something else altogether. They're envisioning the graves in the desert and they're envisioning Pharaoh's triumph and they're still shaking with fear. No, it, this isn't a matter of trying not to be afraid. This isn't trying to have happy thoughts of faith. What? what what's... What's the prescription here? What what does God say? He said, fear not. But then he says, and in our Bible, how does it read? Um, and here he says, do not fear. Verse 13, Moses said, do not fear. Stand by. Stand by. Um, some of your older versions say, be still. Stand by is a sort of update on that. Um, I suppose it is a difficult phrase to put into English in that paragraph. Um, stand, stand by. In a word, it means stand up and be present to this situation. Be present. That is, it's a recognition. And notice it says stand. There's something, I mean, standing is a physical thing. And it's as if I slap your face. Slap your own face. Uh, um, recognize you are in this location. You are in this circumstance. So be present to it. You've been wandering off there into the past and, and blaming and condemning and self-hating and everything else. And you're wandering off into the future. Stand by. Come back. Stand. Dig in your heels. Recognize you don't live in the past. You don't live in the future. That's got nothing to do with anything. Recognize you are here. You are now in this location, in this circumstance, and be present to God who is with you. So be present. Be present. It's, I suppose it's something like what happened, at least it did in, in England when I was a little chap in school. Uh, I don't know if you have it over here. But um, every morning they would read out the names of us kids in the class. And when they read our name, we had to shout out present, which meant I'm here. 
Of course, um, I don't know whether my mind was there, my brain was there. At least I was admitting my body was there. But that's, that's what this is. It is stand by. That is be present. Acknowledge this is where you are. But acknowledge this is where God is. And I, and I bring my whole person here and now. So we fear not by ignoring, you heard me, ignoring all the feelings of fear, um, ignoring all of that that would be present to the monster of our illusions. And now refocus and be present to this incredible God of endless love and all power and know that he is limitless for us. See, this fits in with the whole of Scripture. I could give you many texts and stories, but just get a couple of them. It says in the Psalm, is it 34? Um, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Oh, well, you, you've said this one a thousand times, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's a man who, who was about to collapse to the shadows and, and everything that was within the shadows there in the valley of the shadow of death. And then put down his foot and said, enough of this nonsense. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And that's the final fact. I hope this begins to make some sense to you. Are you present to this moment? That, that's, do you stand by? And, and I'm, I'm here. I'm present. I'm not wandering back to Egypt. I'm not, I'm not debating how we got here. That really is pointless. How you got to your present situation is not a matter of debate. It's not a matter of blaming anybody. You're here. That's what this word means. You're here. And we're not talking whether you should be here. You're here. We're not debating who's responsible for getting us here. We're certainly not asking the unanswerable question of why does God allow it? Although, actually, he'd already told them right at the very beginning. All of those questions that deal essentially with the past and the journey that led us here, forget it. Flush it down the toilet. The only reality... You know what I mean? The only solid, established reality is that we're here. Did, did you get it? Did, I don't care how we got here. It could have been the greatest mistake and the biggest number of reasons. But that, that's beside the point. You're here. And you are here... And God himself is here with you and in you and loves you and is your deliverer. So in in that sense, 
stand by means I choose to be here. And I choose to be here now. I, I put it in that language because many people live life doing the moonwalk, you know. They look as if they're going forward, but really they're going backward. You know, have you ever, if you're an employer, have you ever had people working for you like that? They, they come to work, but it takes most of the day before their brain catches up with them, you know. And they start off Monday saying, I can't wait till Friday. So they've never chosen to be alive today. They're, in their case, their anticip- life is something that doesn't, is at, it doesn't even exist yet. Friday, on Monday, Friday doesn't exist. But that's where they live, in a no-man's land, in a not-is. That's what I mean, choose to be here. Yes, my feelings might say, I'd like to be somewhere else. Well, that's good, but it's neither here nor there, because you're not. You are here, and you are now. Don't waste life energy trying to not be here. See, if fear is that chaos of disconnected thoughts about the situation, Standing by is being present to him. And according to Matthew 6, and I like the older translations here, it says, take no thought for what you shall put on, etc. Um, take no thought. That's another word for anxiety. Don't be anxious. Because anxiety is taking thought about everything and trying to solve everything right now. Whereas here we don't take thought, we take heart. I'm trusting him. He is with me. He is in me. And he is by his very nature love and deliverer. And in that moment, you are no longer entangled with the past and the future. Now, can you handle this? You discover in this present now moment, there is no problem. And there's only one thing that is actually happening. What do I mean? I mean that the whole problem, its definition, its size, its uh, determinations, it was all in, in its coming, it's, 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 and you're going back in, and you're giving it flesh and bone, and you're looking ahead and this is what it's going to do. Well, cut those out and realize in this present moment there's no problem there's only the God who has promised to be with me because he's in me and is my deliverer that's the only thing that's actually happening right now the rest is what I'm thinking about what is actually happening now is not a problem. It is God bringing things together to do a glorious deliverance. The infinite positive. There's not a negative word thought in God. He's the infinite positive God of love, power, moving you and He in you to a solution 
that will bring about a grander, more glorious relationship to him than you've ever dreamed. So when I say be present, I'm not just saying focus your thoughts. No. I'm saying recognize. In fact, the, the, the whole of being present is you are present to him and you are trusting, trusting. You're resting your expectancy, your very life upon him. You're connecting with him who is the I am. And where this, this in this moment... This is the place he dwells. Do you, do you understand? When I was coming here, if I had been anxieting about what I would say and how this would work out and how you would take it and everything else, <clears throat> well, God doesn't live there. As I was coming here, the whole presence of the Holy Trinity was in me and in the preparation for this and in my car as the very presence of the peace and joy and love of God. It's only when I got to sit here and start talking to you, this now is where the full presence of God is. Do you understand? Um, I, I'm in the middle of a situation, but in the middle of that situation, that's the heart of Father and Son and Holy Spirit working in love. That situation, that place in the middle of the situation. Now that is, this isn't, is not. We're in the situation. We're not going back there or up there. This is, is. This is, this is, is the reality. And it's the is of joy. This is where God is your joy. He is your peace that passes human understanding. He is the, your wisdom and clarity. In this is all things are possible. And it all arises from the heart of God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit in you with no reference to circumstances. God's joy isn't because nice things are happening. God's joy is. It's the place in the midst of life where I can expect the glory of God to be made manifest. We trust in Him. We trust in Him, which means we don't come to Him with our own agenda. You know how we do that. We drag all this other stuff and then we come to God and say, now this is what we expect of you and we expect it by three o'clock on Thursday afternoon. No, it's in his hands. We surrender like little children. We leap in his arms and we snuggle there. I, I, I can't know the plans of God. They're so far beyond me. <laughs> Who would ever have thought that he's going to split the Red Sea. No way, no way. He said, stand by. See the salvation. Salvation. We, we have been... That, that word has become very small, hasn't it? I mean, salvation just means get your sins forgiven. Go to heaven when you die. No, that's really... <laughs> The word salvation means, its first meaning would be deliverance. 
It means deliverance from all that sets itself against the purpose of God for our lives. Stand by. You're going to see the deliverance of God. And it's deliverance from, but it's also, maybe more importantly, deliverance to. So it's not just, as I said, it's not just getting your sins forgiven. It's to something. It is to a new depth of relationship with God in Jesus. And it's to an expectancy, a peace, a joy, a restoration, the wholeness, becoming the new person that you are. Salvation is release. It's release into his freedom. Because in this case, this is closure. They are never going to see Egypt again in this light. Never. Salvation is covenant, realized, not just words, actualized into this moment. You're no longer knowing about this incredible God and his gospel and salvation, but you're knowing him in experience and you're gaining a track record that is going to be a foundation for your own life and history. And so this moment that the great lie can turn it into a moment of sheer terror was in fact the arena of God's deliverance. That was beyond anybody's wildest imagination. And then he says, see what he will accomplish for you. And the word accomplish is a word, it means to create or to fashion is a better word maybe. It was used of a potter who fashioned the clay, of a carpenter who chiseled the wood and planed the material and sawed and put it together. It meant to fashion something new out of an existing material. (laughs) He says, accomplish. I know this is the existing material. Well, I'm going to fashion something so new you won't recognize it by tomorrow morning. This event that's happening to you is shaping you. Shaping you into a relationship with God you won't recognize yourself when it's over. You will be established in his love and in his glory. And it will become part of your history. That's the way it is. Then he says, and he says, the Lord himself will fight for you, which means relax. Relax, I've got this, I've got this. Then he said, be still. And that's a different word to stand by. Be still means be quiet. Relax. You don't even you don't have to say anything. Just just relax. I've got this. He fights for you. You are his charge. He is your keeper. And all his love's resources are focused on you in this moment. So what can I say? Let your expectancy, let your trust be in him not in an already defeated enemy. And then, yeah, let's say it like this. Discover the peace of God and his joy as you walk on the bottom of the Red Sea and you look to the right and the left and see a wall of water and fishes pressing up against the side watching you. 
and you feel the mud oozing between your toes and you're trying to believe I'm walking on the bottom of the Red Sea and you come up the other side. It's been a death and a resurrection. And you never see Pharaoh again because that's been accomplished, done, closure. I, I, I really believe that this is speaking to persons that are in the midst of something maybe as terrifying as these people. And I trust, I believe that the Holy Spirit will take these thoughts that we've wandered through this chapter with and speak into your life His peace. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with you, and in the midst of the darkness, be your light. Open the eyes of your inner heart to see the truth and what is actually happening, and that you shall walk out and through this situation in his peace, in his solution, to be established in him forever. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is.